This is Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks very much for joining us. It's been a real roller coaster ride without any of the fun when it comes to COVID relief negotiations in Washington. One stalemate after another leads to hopes of a breakthrough only to be dashed by more partisan gridlock. It's only a matter of days before the 116th Congress is done and a new Congress gets sworn in, which also means this group of lawmakers is running out of time to negotiate a COVID relief package that can help families and businesses who really desperately need it uh, with the pandemic still surging and restrictions still in place uh, until we can get control of it. That is where we want to continue the conversation here on Detroit Today, and uh, we still have Congresswoman Debbie Dingell, a Democrat from Dearborn who represents Michigan's 12th congressional district with us. Uh, Debbie, I want to start here. Reports suggest that direct payments are back in the stimulus proposal, but that those checks will be about half of the $1,200 that we saw earlier this year for every American under a certain income level. Is that enough? And is it the right moral response to what we need right now. So Stephen, we've been working on trying to get a bill and more direct relief to communities since May. The House of Representatives passed the HEROES bill in May. We passed another direct relief package in October. The chair of the Federal Reserve, who is a Republican, has been telling us for months we need to be spending money in investing capital to protect our economy. And we have not been able to get the Senate to do anything. We cannot leave here without a COVID relief package. And no, I clearly do not believe that anything that we're going to come out of with this week is going to be enough. Uh, we did go back to direct um, payments in the last week. We are still not sure what the amount of money is going to be, quite frankly. President Trump has become part of these negotiations. So there are figures anywhere from $600 to $2,000, means tested, uh, per adult and child being discussed. Um, Joe Biden, a couple of days ago, said this is a down payment. He told both Nancy Pelosi, Speaker Pelosi, and Chuck Schumer, the minority leader in the Senate, we cannot wait until January 20th. We must get an economic stimulus package now. I'm not le- I've said I won't leave Washington until we get one. I have been a royal pain in a number <laughs> of people's behinds. We need to get something. I already know I'm not going to be happy with what comes out because state and local government's not going to be in there. And this is happening at a time that our state and local governments, we're talking our teachers, our first responders, and now state and local governments have responsibility for distributing distributing the vaccine, and they need resources. Right. So, you know, it's it's a down payment. I'm going to use the words of Joe Biden. It's a down payment. It's a beginning. And when President-elect Joe Biden becomes president, this must be one of our number one priorities. Well, one thing that is possible that could happen, I suppose, is that the runoff seats in Georgia, the Senate seats that will be voted on again in January to determine who's going to join the 117th Congress uh, from that state, 
could make a big difference here. In other words, if if Democrats win both of those seats and uh, and have a majority in in the Senate, one of the first things that the Biden administration could do is introduce a new uh, stimulus package, or or the Congress could do that and and send it to his desk, and he could sign it. So. That idea of the down payment, uh, I suppose, is a look forward to what what could be coming. But but I also want to ask you about some things that I've seen other Democrats saying about the current bill. Uh, Rashida Tlaib, another congresswoman from here in southeast Michigan, uh, and Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez from, from New York have both said on Twitter recently that they are going to be a no on a bill that does not have enough relief for um, for individuals, uh, especially the, these these checks that um, that that are going to be sent out. Um, talk about the tension within the Democratic Party over that question. At what point is the bill so bad uh, that, that the Senate agrees to that it's worth standing up and saying, "Hey, I can't I can't support this." So. Uh, here's what I think. Uh, it's very difficult, and I'm not happy that we're in these circumstances, but no action is unacceptable to me. And there are two things that are going to happen this weekend. One, I do not believe that we can shut the United States government down, as we have dramatically seen this president be willing to do, uh, in the middle of a pandemic. I think that it would be totally irresponsible. Now, I'm hearing different scenarios that we may pass a short-term uh, authorization. And there's some people say, let the government shut down for the weekend so that we put pressure on getting a deal. I would not be for the latter, uh, but I'm not a leadership and I'm not in the majority. And so I've expressed what I think very strongly. We'll see what the day brings. But I do not believe it's morally, it, it would be such an immoral act to shut the government down right now. I cannot tell you. And, you know, to even scare people that that might happen is just not acceptable to me. I'm just going to say that point blank. Well, I mean, uh, if you think of the practical implications of that right now, I mean, you make everything that we're dealing with worse, but you also would hobble the distribution of the vaccine. Isn't that right? It, it, that is a potential, although we could have that discussion separately, which I think the White House is already doing with Pfizer. So let's have that discussion in a minute. Um, but secondly, unemployment expires at the end of the month. People, we need to put more money into PPP. I hear from my small business owners. My restaurant owners call me every day. I love them. They've become very good friends. And I don't sleep at night. I'm so worried about them. Um, it would extend eviction. Uh, it would not allow people to, it, it would extend the eviction moratorium. It would put more money into food. Do you know how many of our neighbors are hungry right now mm. and don't know how they're going to put food on the table? It would help with vaccine distribution. It, there are a number of things we just simply cannot not do. So um, I, I'm just somebody who's not happy, but I know we have to extend those program student loans as well, although the one thing Betsy DeVos did do, it's kind of hard to believe, uh, did put an extension on student loan payments until the Congress could do something. But they're just, we people aren't sleeping at night. They're worried about food, roofs over their head, their jobs. We have to do something. So I, I'm unwilling not to extend those programs. 
uh, I, you know, hardball, it can be a good thing, but right now we've got to do some down payments until we get somebody in there that really is going to care mm. about this. President Trump, quite frankly, hasn't given a damn about some of these programs, and I'll probably make some of your viewers upset, but that is the reality. And um, people need help, and they need it now. Yeah. I'm talking with Congresswoman Debbie Dingell, Democrat from Dearborn, who represents Michigan's 12th congressional district in Washington. Uh, we're talking about COVID relief negotiations, which continue in Congress. We are closer to a bill than we have been even in recent weeks. Uh, the question is, what will be in it? How much relief will Americans be able to expect from the stimulus bill that is likely to pass and would get President Trump's signature. Uh, if you want to join the conversation, give us a call. How much faith do you have in Congress to pass an adequate COVID relief package before the end of the year? And what does adequate mean to you? Are you okay with $600 or $700 direct payments to Americans instead of the $1,200 payments that people got back in the spring? We especially want to hear from you if you've been really hit hard by the pandemic? Uh, have you lost your job? Uh, how, are you how are you managing, if that's true? Uh, if you own a small business, uh, the second round of restrictions that we're living under, what is it doing uh, to your livelihood? Uh, how likely are you to be able to hang on until we can get through this and get back to some normally? Some normalcy. Um, also give us a call and let us know what you need to get through this period. What are the things that you think Congress can do for you uh, to make sure that uh, we all not just survive this from a public health standpoint, but from an economic one? As always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there, or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today. And uh, we'll work you into the conversation. Also, give us a call and let us know if you think things will get better when Joe Biden is sworn in as president on January 20th. What, ex what changes do you expect uh, might take hold? Uh, again, 313-577-1019 is the number. You can go to Facebook or Twitter, put comments there, and we'll try to include you in the show that way. Uh, Debbie, I want to ask about uh, this this other recent uh, development in the vaccine narrative. States, including Michigan, said this week that they were notified that their shipments of vaccines would be significantly reduced without being told why. Pfizer said yesterday there's no production problem and millions of doses are sitting in warehouses because the government hasn't told them where they need to go. Uh, is there something that Congress can do about that? And what's your reaction, uh, again, to yet another, another indication that uh, we've got a leadership problem in Washington when it comes to dealing with uh, this pandemic? So I quite frankly, I'm totally outraged. I'm gonna start there. And um, I also believe that they're maligning a company that is operating in the state of Michigan and, um, and impacting people's and endangering people's lives. So to say that I'm at a slow rage is uh, an understatement. Uh, it's, it, so many states across the country, but I'll talk about Michigan right now, uh, have, have for the second week in a row, Michigan's Pfizer vaccine allocations was reduced again. 
we were supposed to get um, 90,000 doses, and we've been told we're only going to get um, 60,000 doses. Uh, we'll know what our next number is today. So, you know, I heard on the radio yesterday the federal government saying that Pfizer had promised this many doses and they weren't going to be able to deliver. And it's not true. I mean, they have a, I talked to the governor yesterday, and after I talked to the governor, I spoke with Speaker Pelosi, Frank, Frank Pallone, uh, who's chair of the committee. Frank, Fred Upton and I have talked to Frank as a committee with jurisdiction over this. Fred's calling Secretary Azar today. The governor's got a call into him. But Pfizer has a million doses sitting in the warehouse ready to ship out. And they're not, as governor said, give me some of the doses. They're not allowed to ship directly to any state. They can only ship to who the federal government says that they can ship to. And now we're beginning to hear rumors that Moderna, which was, is likely to be approved in the next couple of days, and they matter to rural communities and smaller clinics because they don't have the same temperature requirement. Uh, but we're hearing that those allocations could be reduced as, uh, as well. This is jeopardizing the plans that everybody has, the long-term care we have for our most vulnerable citizens. And we've, now I have to say, Speaker Pelosi was really on top of this when I called her last night. Uh, uh, and uh, I got all the information, all the details. She was making calls to the White House and to other places. And Fred and I are working with the chair of our committee on holding people accountable today as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones to join the conversation. Let's go to Cindy in Ferndale. Cindy, welcome to the show. Hi. Hi. Um, I could certainly use the $600 boost, but there's so many people out there that don't need it, that are in higher income brackets. The fact that everyone got $1,200 last time was insane. Um, and so, I don't know. Maybe yeah. the implementation piece of it is gonna would slow it down, but I I just don't think everyone needs six hundred bucks. So and not everybody's going to get that amount. Yeah, of money I was gonna to, say not everyone be. gets the the same amount, and and the, you know there are income limits on that, Cindy. Some people Correct. didn't get anything. Um, uh, but but Cindy, before I have the congresswoman really respond to this, let me let me let me ask you something. I'm I'm a little puzzled by people who are focused on the idea that that people who don't need help might get it more than they're focused on the idea that people who need the help won't get it, and and that the, the there there seems to be it seems to be upside down. I mean. I'm not a fan of wasting money either, quote unquote, but I also don't necessarily think it's wasting money to give money to people when there is a pandemic. And and the idea of determining who deserves it and who doesn't, I think, is a really fraught process. I think that's a road we probably shouldn't go too far down. But but what is it about what is it about the idea that somebody might get six hundred dollars that you think they don't need? That's so offensive. I, 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 I don't get that. Well, A, I wouldn't favor not helping the people who need it. My thinking is that if 
people don't need the funds, there could be more funding available for the people that do really need it. I mean, many people, and mostly in lower-wage jobs, have lost their income. Mm-hmm. They could use a lot more than $600. Yeah. Cindy, that's a great point, and I'm glad you, I'm glad you made it. Uh, I, I'm really glad you called and, and participated in the, in the program. I, I can't argue with, with, with that logic. Um, I, I, I still think there's enough money for everybody. There really is. Uh, you think of the money that we spend on things uh, in Washington uh, that that I would say are nowhere near as high a priority as helping people during a pandemic. But I do hear what you're saying, that uh, if you could give more to the people who are in desperate need uh, by taking uh, from those who don't really need it, that would be a, a, a productive outcome. Uh, Debbie, I'll let you respond to, to Cindy's Cindy's call. I've heard from many people who have um, spoken as you have, and there are some that don't need this. That is why this this stimulus payment will be means tested. I don't know where it's going to end up. Um, you know, and I've heard from a lot of people that you don't normally think of as needing help, uh, but they've been laid off from their job. That I mean, they were making $80,000, $100,000 as lab techs at a university or something, and they're really scared and they're uh, they're just trying to figure it all out right now. What we need to do is to have uh, means testing. Not everybody needs this help, but more people than we realize do need help. And that's what we're trying to do in whatever gets passed this week then we need to really continue to assess where we are, where people need the most help. How do we, I mean, this is going to be a really dark winter. Uh, You've seen the numbers, more and more people are getting COVID, more and more more people are losing their jobs, small businesses, restaurants are failing, people are scared. We got to be there for each other. And when Joe Biden comes in, it's, this is going to be the first thing he's going to attack with a national COVID plan both how do we manage it in this country, which it has not been done since it's hit, and then to how do we begin to rebuild our economy. Mm. Uh, again, Cindy, really appreciate the call uh, and the comments. Let's go to Dan in Detroit. Dan, welcome to the show. Good morning. Hi. Thanks for taking my call. Mm-hmm. The reason I'm calling is in regards to the stimulus. It's that you know, I was taught from a, 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 a proper businessman a long time ago, always ask for double of what you need in a loan because you're always going to get shot down. And, you know, this $600 is ridiculous. All these money that is coming out is already spent because people are so far behind. Mm-hmm. And so in order to, you know, get the, the playing field level again, we need way more than $600. Another thing, too, is don't they understand that that's going to go back into the economy and stimulate the businesses that need to keep running? This is the point that they don't understand, you know, on the other side where they're they're trying to knock down from $2,000 to $1,200 to $600. It's ridiculous. Yeah. 
Uh, Dan, How do we come up with an argument that gives them a perspective? Yeah, that I don't shows know. them that this is going to be to their benefit. Yeah, Dan, I, I, I actually think that there's a more fundamental problem at play here, and it's that um, the, the 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 concept of money and its value. Uh, is really out of whack right now uh, as compared to other things. I mean, uh, I think there are a lot of people and certainly a lot of elected officials who think we've got to be careful with uh, with with money and that there is a, a you know a, a responsible and irresponsible way to deal with money and that that's more important than giving people what they need, uh, especially in the middle of an emergency. I mean, I think, uh, you know, it's one thing to have that argument when we're not in the middle of a pandemic. I think doing it while people are suffering the way they uh, the way they are is is something that I didn't necessarily expect. But um, but I think that's what we're seeing. And, and I, you've got to turn that on its head, really. I think, to, to get the conversation to go in uh, a different direction. Uh, Debbie, I'll give you a chance to respond as well. I, I don't know how you give people a heart and help people understand. I don't know how people cannot understand state and local governments need help and how they can demonize um, local levels of government. I don't, I, I think we have to put human faces on this. And I know we need to do something. I, I, if you're somebody that makes yourself accessible, if you're someone who talks to people regularly, you can't not know what's going on. And I think everybody needs to keep trying to work with their elected representatives to put the human face on what's really going on in our communities. Mm. Okay, uh, we're going to take another quick break. When we come back, we'll continue this conversation with Congresswoman Debbie Dingell. We'll also continue to hear from you, Kyle in Ann Arbor, Michelle in Detroit, Ray in Midtown. We'll get to you next. If you want to join them, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. Stay with us for more Detroit Today. This is Detroit Today on 1019 WDT. Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. My guest is Congresswoman Debbie Dingell, Democrat from Dearborn, represents Michigan's 12th congressional district in Washington. We're talking about COVID relief negotiations in Washington, where they're headed, what we might expect out of them when they are concluded, and how all of that might change, how the entire picture of how we approach those things might change after Joe Biden is sworn in as president on January 20th, 2021. If you want to join the conversation, give us a call, 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. Uh, you can also go to Twitter or Facebook, put comments there, and we'll make you part of the conversation. Let's go to Troy in Detroit. Troy, welcome to the show. Good morning. Hi. I just wanted to ask uh, Congresswoman Dingle, um, when are we going to get a, a public transportation bill? Um, I'm a, I drive for SMART. I'm also a union steward, and the membership is constantly asking, when are we going to get some relief? 
um, because we don't know, like, the hazard pay is running out, the CARES Act is running out. When are we going to get some relief on that again? Mm. Great question, Troy. Thank you very much for the call. Uh, Debbie, go ahead. So, as you know, we did have in the HEROES bill, or I think you probably knew, that it was in the HEROES bill that we passed in May. Um, that's one of the reasons we need to get money to state and local governments so that you are getting those kinds of payments. And Mitch McConnell just flat out will not support state and local aid. Now, Joe Biden will make this a priority, and we've got to pray for the outcome of the Georgia elections in early January and a lot of other things. But if you've got a president who cares, who you know really is willing to get in the fight and knows how people are hurting and suffering and that we've got to do something, that's going to make a difference too. When you, you talk about um, a about transportation bill, mm-hmm. I, 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 I put that in a different category. Right now, we need to get aid to state and local governments so you are getting hazard pay, so you are appreciated in what's happening in too many cities and towns across the country that monies are being cut for bus lines and public transportation. One of the first bills that President-elect Biden is also going to put forward in the Congress is an infrastructure bill, which will invest in the kind of systems that you're also in. So I would actually divide this into how do we get immediate aid to you? Uh, And we're still trying to figure that out even in this bill. Uh, But when we do a package, as soon as uh, President-elect Biden becomes president, we will try to get money directly to state and local governments and people like you, and we will also be investing in an infrastructure package. Mm. Uh, Transportation is a subject that's been in the news lately as well, as uh, President-elect Biden has chosen South Bend Mayor Pete Buttigieg to run the transportation department. Uh, He would also be the first openly LGBTQ person to be confirmed to a cabinet position if the Senate uh, confirms his nomination. Um, what do you think of of Buttigieg in that role? It's not something that uh, he's had a lot of experience with, uh, but he's a very, very bright guy uh, and and a promising uh, sort of star, I guess, uh, in the Democratic uh, universe. What's your reaction to him as sec- as transportation secretary? So I've gotten to know him pretty well over not just the last year, but like about. 10 years. Um, And he and I have had long talks about different subjects. We've been, you know, in in Nebraska together with nothing to do on a night. So I've had some interesting occasions with him. Here's one of the reasons that I think he's going to be really good besides everything that you just said, Steve. He is bright. He knows how to connect dots. I've talked to him long talks, briefed him on the auto industry even before he started running for president. But he's a mayor. He comes out of state and local government. And one of the first priorities of the Biden administration is going to be an infrastructure bill. Hmm. And state and local governments are critical to fixing our very broken infrastructure. And he's going to know how to bring the federal government together with state and local governments to actually get things done. He knows how to listen to mayors, help mayors get so I'm actually very excited about Pete's being at DOT. I think he's going to do a good job. Um, I talked to him this week. I'm going to, you know, look forward to spending lots of time with him. And um, I, I think it was a good appointment. Okay. Troy, thanks very much for the call. 
and the really great question. Let's go to Michelle in Detroit. Michelle, Hi. what's on your mind? There's a lot of different thoughts that I have circling around. Um, I wanted to say to your earlier comments, uh, Stephen, about people who would rather or who get stuck up on overpaying some or worried about America. I think that we have this false idea in this country that we live in a meritocracy. A lot of people cling to that belief. Mm. And it's really scary to let go of that and to consider that people who are in need might not be culpable and might not be their fault, you know, and right. we have a lot of systems like the moratorium on water shutoffs and evictions and things like that that yes. are keeping some disasters at bay, but those bills are accumulating. And so um, I would love to see some relief in those arrears. And um, I think that we need to bake into this not just money that is spent, but also actual systems of affordability so that we're not always just in this push and pull of, of mitigating disaster. And so my question for uh, Representative Dingle is what types of features are going to be in this new bailout that reflects lessons learned? You know, the first time we didn't know what COVID was. We didn't know how big and bad it was. We had to rush and so we may have inadvertently bailed out companies that may not have needed it. Is, are there some things that we're seeing lessons learned of better ways of distributing money to where they can be most to effective and go. the most yeah. in need? Great question, Michelle. Can, Thank you very much. It, it ahead, is Jen. a very good question. And, um, you know, I even I, – someone earlier had talked about money went to um, nonprofits or to churches. Some of them really needed help. You know, so how do you figure out what's legitimate and what's not legitimate? People are very much asking those questions put into criteria. And part of this, I'm going to be very honest, is how it is implemented by the executive branch. And we've had an executive branch that doesn't have scruples, uh, hasn't proved itself to be competent at uh being able to address many of these issues. I found myself working with them to try to help people uh, in Michigan and in, and there were people, you know, like the chair of the feds would say they have the power to do this and treasury would say, well, no, they're not doing that, but they could move very quickly on others. Some of it, I think that you're going to find that everybody on the Hill, including Republicans are trying to put better guardrails in. But I also think that when you see a change in administration, you're going to see people who care about this more. Mm. I mean, how could we, I just have to, I'm so angry about Pfizer. I just can't not keep bringing it up. How, what kind of, okay. So Pfizer didn't take money from the federal government to develop this vaccine, which has had the president furious because they weren't part of Operation Warp Speed. Well, give me a break. He can save lives with a million doses of vaccine sitting at a plant and you're going to play games and not have them shipped out. Unacceptable. So, you know, just having a new administration is going to see somebody, it's going to see a team of people that care, have empathy and compassion, and know that there are people hurting across this country. So so before we have to end the show, I want to ask you about two other Michiganders who are uh, in the middle of, of talks about what they might be doing for the Biden administration. Uh, there have been reports that uh, Congressman Andy Levin might be uh, tapped to be the labor secretary. And Levin has been pretty open that he is a candidate for the position. Um, what do you think of that pick uh, and, and how likely it is maybe to happen? I love Andy. And so he would be a great pick. And 
I would totally support them. I think that many think that yesterday with the appointment of Deb Howland to Interior, which I think is fabulous, mm -hmm. the first Native American, and she was almost not picked just simply because of how close the number is in the House. And I, with Cedric Marcia Fudge and Deb Holland having been picked, I think that it is becoming a challenge to take any other House members. So while Andy is totally talented and, um, you know, should be looked through at, at and is in the running, I think the very fact that he's an elected representative um, could be, his time may be down the road. Mm. But he's a great man and I love him. And there are also reports that Congresswoman Alyssa Slotkin might be tapped to be the head of the CIA. What are, you, what are your thoughts on that possibility? Uh, you know, I love Alyssa. We all had a delegation meeting right before I joined this call, and we're all supporting each other. And Alyssa is a very talented woman that we're lucky to have in the Congress. But I think the same criteria that I just said to you is uh, nobody is not going to get this appointment because of their skills, their talent, their caring yeah their passion. I think that straight math is making it harder for any member of the House to go into the administration at this time. Hmm. I also want to ask you, you, you mentioned that uh, you had a, a delegation uh, uh, meeting today. What are the dynamics inside that delegation like right now after you had four members uh, of the congressional delegation here from Michigan uh, support this this effort by the state of Texas to disqualify all of the votes, really, from from the state of Michigan in the presidential election. I was a little surprised by the the, uh, the names that attached themselves to that. They, I, I think all of them know better or should have known better. Uh, but I also wondered what uh, what the consequences of that might be. I mean, this is a delegation that, as you point out, uh, unlike in some other states, is able to at least meet and talk about common interests and try to get things done. That that seemed like uh, a gesture that really would have undermined that kind of cooperative spirit. So to, first of all, let me clarify: it was the Dems in the delegation. Oh, that the, this was just the, the Dems. Okay. So it was just yeah. a Dem meeting. But you know, I'm very close to Fred Upton. Everybody knows that Fred and I talk at least once a day, most days, two or three times a day. We start talking, it's, we start the day talking to each other. Last night, we ended the day talking about Pfizer and he's as angry as I am. So um, we were doing that and Fred did not put his name on it. There were friends on there that I was frankly stunned at. Mm -hmm. uh, I quietly communicated it to them. There was one member I, I was not, I, I, it's, I've been sort of stunned at his behavior all year. But I'm not going to go out to names. Um, I think you are seeing most of those four now acknowledge uh, that uh, Joe Biden will be president. little surprised by some other th things that I read this morning. Um, but it, it, here's where my anger lies in all of this is we had one of the safest elections in the history of this country. Mm -hmm. More votes cast in the middle of a pandemic. And we have Republicans and Democrats. We have the Homeland Security saying this was the safest election we've ever had. And yet the way that this has been handled in a number of leaders, people do not have confidence in the outcome and they're questioning the integrity of our elections. That is the core of our democracy. People must believe that they can cast their vote 
and it will be counted honestly and fairly. And I think that these Republicans who are still continuing this fight uh, need to really look inside themselves and think, wonder if they still really believe in democracy. And quite frankly, if they're this concerned about the outcome, should we be swearing them in? Are they right. worried about the outcome of their own elections? Right. <laughs> right. Um, right. You know, I mean, I'll say that at this point. Yeah. Now, Mitch McConnell is discouraging his senators from challenging the Electoral College on January 6th. We still have House members that want to bring it up. We will, again, win. But I don't think this helps democracy. Yeah. Period. It does. I find it offensive. And I love my country. Yeah. Okay. Representative Debbie Dingle, it is always great to talk to you. I hope you have a really great holiday. And uh, we will talk too. to you in the new year. Goodbye, 2020. Hello. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> Good riddance, right? <laughs> <laughs> we'll come okay that's gonna do it for us today come back monday we're gonna take a look at the year that was 2020 with crane's detroit business senior editor chad live and good this is 1019 wdet detroit's npr station your connection to news music and conversation